0: It's good to be back together this evening, and I'm thankful for each of you who are here. We appreciate the support of your attendance if you're visiting, and we hope you'll be able to join us again. In our study of the book of Proverbs, we've talked a lot about wisdom and the wise and the righteous and the, the virtue character traits that come from wisdom, and tonight is where we flip the script around and we talk about the opposite of wisdom, which is foolishness or folly. And we'll study about what Proverbs says about fools and folly or those who go in the way of foolishness and follow the path of folly. Observe the description of these things in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. He said, Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do which succeeds the king? Only what he has already done Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. Wisdom and folly are as opposite as things can get. They are as opposite as light is from darkness. Okay, that's how this passage portrays them. Observe the uh, association of things together here. When on the one hand, he's looking at wisdom, but then on the other side of the issue, he's looking at madness and folly. It suggests to us that folly, or functioning in a way that's contrary to wisdom, that that's something that in its character traits resembles madness or kind of being out of your mind. Now, that doesn't suggest that everybody that has some you know, organic issue with their mind is not following the path of wisdom. That's not the point at all. The point at all is that the person who rejects the path of wisdom will make decisions and do things that look crazy. I I can't fathom the amount of times I've seen somebody make a a destructive choice and looked at it and, and just was incredulous at the thought that, well, that's just crazy. Why are they doing that? Can they not see that they're hurting themselves? That's what folly does, because it, it makes such poor choices that they look so completely irrational that it appears as though the person who's in that mindset has lost their mind. So let's look at uh, the idea of folly and the traits that follow that in the same way that we did with wisdom. We'll sort of think of, of folly as a foundational thing, just like wisdom was a foundational thing. Folly is foundational in the sense that instead of fearing God like wisdom does, folly fails to fear God. In Proverbs 1 verse 29 and 30, he said, Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. These people or this type of person that's described here is somebody that would not have any of God's word. They wouldn't hear it they would not receive his rebuke. You see that stated in that parallel structure there in verse 30. Why? Because they didn't fear God. We see uh, a lot of radical groups that promote uh, things that we, through Scripture, deem to be very sinful and, and a great abomination to God. And we hear what these groups say, And it makes no sense to us. And when you dig down to the root of what's behind a lot of these groups, you see a total disrespect for God, a total disregard for God, a total absence of any kind of fear of God. And there may be a couple of reasons for that. Probably the most common or obvious one is that a lot of those people just don't believe that God exists, or they're trying to tell themselves that God doesn't exist. Maybe another reason is there are are some that think there's a God out there somewhere, but that He doesn't care about us or what we do, or they don't care what He thinks about what we do, so they just live in the way that's their own path. And they don't want to hear any kind of idea that there's a God in heaven who holds us responsible for what we do. There's a lot of quotes and, and information out there from evolutionary scientists and and atheistic scientists who will freely admit that a lot of what drives them down the trail of believing in evolution is the alternative is to believe in God and accept authority from God. And that's just something they're not willing to do. So that's off the table. Okay. In the want of fearing God or in the lack of fearing God, then is going to come an absolute refusal to accept any idea of there being a God who has authority who says, look, this is wrong because our Creator says that it's wrong. Oh, well, you must be judging me. The Creator said it's wrong. If I consent that the Creator is right, that doesn't mean I'm judging somebody else. I just consent that the Creator is right. But people with this mindset or in that degree of that mindset are so willing to throw out any kind of reproof or correction or counsel from God, that they'll even turn against the person who brings that correction, you see. And that's what Jesus said to his disciples about the conflict he faced in the world. He said, the world hates me because I testify of its works that they're evil. That's just the truth. Because that mindset that fails to fear God and rejects the idea of submitting to God's authority is not going to be like like being told, hey, that's wrong. And because there's no fear of God, there's of course the rejection of wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 1 and 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. They despise it. Okay, look in Proverbs 12 and verse 15 where he said, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Have you ever known somebody that, that just no matter what the dispute centered around, no matter what evidence was brought to bear, that just in their minds they were just always right? Sometimes you encounter people like that and, you know, there's a lot of ego that goes along with that and that's, that's really, really a challenge to deal with. But the more you think about that, I, I hope there there's some sober thoughts that kind of come in for a landing here. I make the choices that I make and I believe the things that I believe and I do the things that I do because I think they're right. If I didn't think they were right, I wouldn't do them. Aren't you that way? I mean, you decide what you decide because you believe that's right. Well, do you always feel that way? Well, yeah, if we didn't, we'd go around violating our conscience all the time. You see how easy it is to go from, I'm trying to make good decisions, to fall into this, Well, I was right that time, I was right that time, I was right that time. Maybe there's not as big of a leap from where we're at to where that guy's at in Proverbs 12 and 15 as I want to believe. Maybe there is. I hope there is. What I'm trying to get at is I've got to approach <clears throat> my thought process, my decision-making, all of this defined by my understanding of the will of God. I've got to approach that with a willingness to believe that I could be mistaken because I have been and I will be again, meaning the best and doing my best. I've got to have that fundamental point of view that says you know I might be wrong about this and so that's going to help me to be willing to hear your correction that says you know David there's another way you might want to think about this well if I'm already willing to believe that if I've already brought my mind to that point then that's easier to receive that and that helps me not be that uh, person here who's always right in their own eyes and before long slip into that uh, ethic of folly okay okay Because folly rejects wisdom, folly rejects reproof. In Proverbs 12 and verse 1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Man, that hurts. (laughs) The Lord says, he who hates correction is stupid. Who wants to be the, the person that God looks at and says, well, he's an idiot. Nobody wants to be that person. Well, who wants to be the person that always cheerfully and gleefully accepts reproof? (laughs) That's not really comfortable, but that's a better alternative than being the one that God looks at with the tail end of Proverbs 12 and 1 and says, Idiot. Think about that. The point is, this passage confronts us with a choice. I can learn to like it when somebody tells me I might be wrong, as much as that might make the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I can learn to like that, or I can be the fool that's trapped in folly. Along with this refusal to accept correction, is, is bound to, it's bound to be followed by evil thoughts or thoughts of sin. This is kind of in contradistinction to the things we've studied the last two nights about good thoughts and good motives. Think about what these passages say. Proverbs 19 and verse 3. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 3 says, The foolishness of a man twists his way, and his heart frets against the Lord. Now Think about that. You've got this person that's trying to figure out how what they want to do is better than what God wants them to do. And, and it does not take a very deep look at the world to see there are a lot of people that think they've got that figured out. As crazy as that sounds, they think they've figured out that they know what's better for them more than God does. And so in a, what, what does it take to get to that point? It takes a person who's willing to twist Their way, who's willing to twist the way they look at things, who's willing to twist their thoughts and turn them evil. Proverbs 24 and verse 9 says, The devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. This looks kind of to me like one of those that some would classify as an expansive parallelism where you've got a principle stated and then the next phrase states sort of an expansion on that thought. Maybe there are other ways that you could find that label if you looked up the analysis of the Hebrew literature. But consider the idea here. You've got somebody who's devising foolishness. That means they're scheming sin. And sin doesn't happen by accident. Somewhere it's been entertained in the thoughts that set the stage for it. You know the story of the prodigal son? He was scheming to go commit his sin before he ever wound up in the far country actually living in sin. He's making his plans to go to dad and then he works up the nerve to go to dad and what does he do with dad? He asks for an inheritance. He asked for, you know, his part of the, of the family business or the family worth, so to speak. He didn't do that because he's thinking, well, I'm going to get all this money and then I'm going to figure out what to do with it. He'd been making evil plans. And by the time he reached the point where he was carrying out those evil plans, he was really spiritually in trouble. The ability to make the decision to stop at that stage, that's really difficult. It it works a lot better if you back up a little bit when those foolish thoughts are coming and work on it there and try to fight those foolish thoughts. Because what happens with those foolish thoughts... Well, they're followed by sin, and then what happens? That person, regarded as a scoffer in the parallel language of this passage, is an abomination to men. Was that prodigal son an abomination to his older brother? He wasn't very popular at home, was he? His older brother, albeit suffering with a problem of his own, of of self-righteousness, his older brother saw him as a thorn in the family side. And that's what happens when we let folly creep into our heart and become kind of the decision-making framework, is it makes us become this person who devises evil, who thinks on sin, and before long we're doing things that make us a despised person. And so there's the idea of evil intent wrapped up in this. In Proverbs 10 and verse 23, he said to do evil is like sport to a fool, but a man of understanding has wisdom. Some people, that that person wrapped in folly, they see sin as a funny game. You might be thinking about this and thinking, well, are there really that many people that make a game out of it? How many drinking games have you heard of? You know, where we live now in Oklahoma City, that's right in the heart of Tornado Alley. They have drinking games built around what the weatherman says when there's storms around. It's a joke to some people. It's a joke to some people to drift deeper into sin, to think of other things to do that on the sight of God are more vile or more abominable. And I'm, I'm not singling that one thing out as, as this is the one, you know, exceptional thing where people make it into a game. That's a representative thing of how all manner of sin is made into a game. What's locker room talk about, fellas, if it's not about men having sinful attitudes and actions towards the females that they encounter? That's what it's about. It's about making sin into a game. And he says, that is a foolish thing to do. That's working with evil intent. Proverbs 14 and 22 says, Do they not go astray who devise evil? But mercy and truth belong to those who devise good. So you've got uh, uh, two people under consideration in this verse in Proverbs 14. You've got a person who devises evil. They've got evil intent in the thoughts that they construct. And you've got that other person who devises good. They have good intent in the thoughts that they come up with. And what happens? Well, the person with the evil intent goes astray. They fall away from God and the other person lives a life that's defined by mercy and truth. So you see how folly separates people out from good people, but more tragically separates people out from God. Folly will, it will indulge sin more deeply. Look at what he said about it in Proverbs 13 and verse 19. A desire accomplishes sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination to fools to depart from evil. To some people, the idea of stopping sin is an abominable thing. Why do people so angrily defend their right to murder their offspring? That sounds so bizarre that somebody would stand out here and picket and scream and shout to sustain what they believe to be the right to murder their children. You're looking at it in Proverbs 13 and verse 19. It's an abomination to some people. In their minds, it is an abomination to to stop doing some heinous evil like that. In Proverbs 14 and 9, he said, "...fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor." What happens with a fool with that willingness to make light of sin that we talked about? It just becomes a joke to them, and then what do they do? They sink deeper and deeper into that, and that becomes this downward spiral, such as what we read about in Proverbs 5, verse 22 and 23. He said, His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. Very powerful passage that describes the self-destructive behavior that's so common with a mindset that's bent on folly that refuses to receive wisdom and instruction. All the things that we've talked about that are characteristic of the foolish heart. What happens? That person, in all their scheming and in all the so-called fun that they seek, that person is carefully constructing a trap for their own feet. A trap for their own feet. Think about how silly that is. To tediously set a trap and then turn right around and step right in it. But that's what this person is doing. And so what happens to them? Because they lack instruction, why do they lack it? Because they hate it. They're spiritually starving for instruction. And in that lack of instruction, they die. And in the greatness of that folly, they go astray. You see in the parallel structure there, the going astray compares to the idea of dying. And so this person just spiles deeper and deeper and deeper into sin because the instruction that would kind of pull them up and moderate their behavior, they hate it. They don't want to hear it. And away they go. Now let's look at the reshaped character that comes from these things. Just like there's reshaped character from wisdom, there's reshaped character from folly as well. In this reshaped, maybe... Uh, distorted would be a better way to say it than to say reshaped. But it's somebody that's reshaped away from what God would have us to be. The tongue becomes loosened in the heart of folly. In Proverbs 12 and 23, he said a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. That's what he speaks. He speaks foolish things. Why? Because that's what's in his heart. What did Jesus say? The mouth speaks the abundance of the heart. So when the heart is filled with folly, then that's what the mouth will speak. And so it loosens up that tongue to say foolish things, to make foolish proclamations. Proverbs 15 and 2, The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of the fools pours forth foolishness. There's a real contrast here. On the one hand, you've got the idea of a discerned and careful usage of the mouth or of the tongue. What does the tongue do? It uses knowledge in a right way. You know, you can misuse knowledge. You can take facts and twist them and stack them together in a way that's not consistent with logic, and you can misuse knowledge. But that wise tongue doesn't do those things. But what does a foolish tongue do? They've gone beyond just misusing it. They pour forth foolishness. What if I told you that, man, I was walking up outside and I saw somebody, and it was a terrible scene. It was just pouring forth from their mouth. What would be your assumption that <laughs> I saw somebody regurgitating? You would assume someone was out there getting sick. And that's the kind of language he uses here to describe the words just pouring out of the fool's mouth, just vomiting witless words that speak sin and folly. That reshaped foolish character tends towards laziness. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30 through 34, I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man, listen to it, devoid of understanding. That's the fool. Okay? Verse uh, 31. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles, its stone walls broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Here you've got this person that loves sleep, they love slumber, they're a lazy man, and what's at the heart of all that? They're void of understanding. They've gone into the path of foolishness or folly. Consider how this destroys the reputation, this reshaped character. We, we've already read other passages in, in blending these thoughts together that talk about this person uh, being disliked by others. See what he says in Proverbs 12 and verse 8. A man will be commended according to his wisdom, but he who is of a perverse heart will be despised. You take somebody that's consistently known for being crooked in their business, and people in that field of business, they have no use for them. That's how that works, and that's what folly brings. It brings destruction to the reputation. Ecclesiastes 10 and 1 says, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. Now bring this passage that's outside the book of Proverbs because it speaks so sweetly about what we find in Proverbs. In Proverbs we learn that foolishness destroys a person's reputation. This passage warns us that it doesn't take very much. What does it take to spoil something like a fragrant oil? I don't know anything about handling fragrant oils other than what this passage says, but I know there are a lot of things, food substances and things like that, that it doesn't take much to corrupt them. Just the wrong fly lands on it once and puts just a certain microorganism in there by virtue of its contact. And before long, it begins to decay and it begins to stink. And that picture is a person who had a pretty good reputation because of some of the wisdom they exercised in life, but just a little bit of folly came in and messed it all up, and it made the whole thing stink. I want you to think about this. In just a moment of foolishness, you could destroy a reputation you spent years building. It does not take long at all so be careful. Making a thousand great choices (laughs) doesn't rescue you from following those up with a handful of very bad choices. Because once that happens, people won't back up and remember that, well, but yeah, they had all this other great stuff. They'll just remember how you messed it up. It's just a little bit of dead flies will ruin that whole deal of oil, you see. And that oil used to smell sweet because it was perfume. But now it stinks. Think of the, the tragedy of you working hard to build a good reputation, a good name by making good choices and going to church and studying your Bible and following what you know the Lord teaches. And then in a moment of weakness you kind of give in to some things and before long you've made a series of bad choices and the next thing you know it all falls apart. What a tragedy. Consider the ongoing ripple effect of these kinds of choices. In Proverbs 17 and verse 12 he said, Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. I know this guy at Arkansas that he loves to go out in the woods and hunt ginseng. And he goes in the deep woods. I mean, where he goes and camps, he and his wife, they routinely see bears up there. And he's just not afraid of them. He was, he was talking to me about different ways you can chase those bears off. And he was telling me about a friend who uh, was up there and with one of his buddies and he was demonstrating one of the techniques that the guy would use to chase these bears off. Along comes this sow bear, that's a, a female bear, and she's down uh, in the woods a little ways, and this guy turns to his buddy and says, Watch this! you know, And he starts flapping his arms and slapping the sides of his legs and running towards that bear. Well, most of the time, that bear will turn and run off because God has put in their heart the fear of us and the dread of us. But he's doing that and that bear stands up and he sees a couple of cubs around on the other side and that bear's not running because it's a mama bear thinking of the defense of her whelps. Well, now the guy's turning and running the other way saying, watch this. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see who's got the best set of sneakers. <laughs> when a bear's robbed of her whelps, somebody's going to die. When she's, she feels her cubs are threatened, somebody's going to die. He says, that's better than meeting a fool who's bent on their folly. Have you heard anything recently about avoiding bad company? Have you heard any warnings about that? Listen to what this passage says about it. Listen to how this passage speaks to it. You meet a fool who's in the midst of their folly and they're bent on that folly and they don't want to let go of that foolishness because to them it's an abomination to quit doing evil things. You're better off to be the guy running in the woods whooping at that bear to discover there's cubs down there she's trying to protect. That's one of the ripple effects is it destroys The companions of those who live in that folly. Proverbs 13 and 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. And that's exactly what we're talking about. It's that ripple effect of folly. It's very powerful in its ability to spread. And it can spread and break relationships and break people to the point that it begins to have an ill effect On society. In Proverbs 16 and verse 12, it is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for a throne is established by righteousness. When a society begins to corrupt and its leadership corrupts, what is that? That's an abomination. Reading on now in Proverbs 28 and verse 16, a ruler who lacks understanding is a great oppressor, but he who hates covetousness will prolong his days. So here's the guy who lacks understanding. That's foolishness. That's folly. And what happens? It corrupts their reign. It corrupts their rule. It doesn't matter whether he's the king or a local leader or some other position of authority. Anybody in a position of authority, their authority breaks down. Their credibility breaks down when they're given to folly. Have you ever heard the expression, people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses? This principle that we're talking about is the reason people say that. (laughs) Because you, get, you let a person who's a ruler at work or a boss at work give themselves over to foolish conduct and foolish decisions, they become a person that's intolerable to work for. You could talk to some of the grown-ups here, young people, and find some of them have experienced that sort of thing or seen that up close. And so it's something that by its nature spreads, and it corrupts those that are around and can even corrupt the entire nation. So what have we learned? We learned that just like wisdom, folly, its opposite, is very foundational. It has a disregard for God which is naturally followed by wicked values. (coughs) And those wicked values include evil thoughts, evil intentions, evil deeds, which bring about a reshaped or corrupted character. And that reshaped or corrupted character is something that just spirals deeper and deeper into sin, which creates a ripple effect to destroy all these things around it. That's worth us thinking about. If you can't muster an admiration for wisdom, then whip up some fear for folly. (laughs) Okay? Because it will destroy. And, And it should make us afraid to think about how powerfully folly could destroy what we've otherwise worked to build. In Proverbs 15 and 21, he said, Folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment. But a man of understanding walks uprightly. So which do you want to be? Do you want to be the person who thinks it's funny to betray God and lose your soul for it? Do you want to be the person that God sees as being totally destitute of discernment? What, is, what do you think of when you think of destitute? You'll think of the Mojave Desert Death Valley. I mean, that's destitute, okay? Now think of that as your mind, destitute of knowledge or meaningful thoughts or wisdom. And that's God's label for that person who's wrapped up in folly. Do you really want to be that person? Or do you want to be the person that, that God looks at on the Day of Judgment and says, there is a person of understanding? If you want to be that person, you've got to walk uprightly. And I'll just tell you plainly, that upright walk can only be had walking with Jesus. And that starts with you obeying the gospel. So I hope you'll think about that at this moment in time. If you're spiritually prepared to obey the gospel and you've never obeyed the gospel, you need to quit wasting time and do the right thing. And be that person who is a person of understanding and begin that upright walk by walking with Christ. We'd love to help you with that if you would do that at this time. Or if as a Christian you need the church to pray for you to help you have a stronger, better, upright walk, we would love to offer you our prayers for that at this time. If we can help you in either way, please come and have a seat on the front while we stand and while we sing.